We're in a series about helping people. And the messages really help you. Like the first one was, how do you help a friend who's struggling with debt? And probably 90% of the people here have been in that situation. If you're not currently, you've at least been in that situation. So all the stuff I was saying, how you could help others, it's probably, you were probably saying, well, this is helping me. I need it. Or how do you help people that are going through depression? And even though I'm talking about how to help other people, I know that everybody in this room goes through depression sometimes. So you're feeling like, yeah, I want to do that to help people, but this is helping me. This one is a topic that's so important for us, but it's an uncomfortable topic to talk about. It's helping people who are dying, helping people who are dying, helping friends that are dying. And here's what tends to happen to us is you find out that someone has a terminal illness or something, and you think, what do I say to them? Like, I don't know what to say. I, I don't know what to do. And fear starts creeping in. What if I say the wrong thing? And all these things go in your mind. And as bad as it is, here's what people tend to do. They tend to start deserting you. They're not deserting you because they're being mean. They're lost. They, they don't know how to cope with it. They don't know what to say. They don't know what to do. They're so afraid of making a mistake that they'd rather not even visit you. People really struggle with that. The word death, dying, it's, it's not even words that people like to talk about. We'll talk about politics, and people disagree about politics and stuff like that, but they can talk about it. We'll talk about sex, and some people might be uncomfortable about it, but we'll talk about it. But people don't really talk about dying and death. And here's why it's important. Because if a person is dying, that's when they need us the most, especially a believer, to step in and be there and encourage and help. And we need to know what to do. We need to know how to be comfortable in that setting and not have our fear prevent us from really being there at the most important time. And I think as a pastor, my job is to equip our church, the people that God's brought us here, my job is to equip us to be Jesus to the world. You know, like how we act, how we live, how we treat people. But this is an area that Christians fell on, just people in general. It's not a Christian issue, it's a people issue. People don't know what to do. They don't know what to say, so they freak out and they just kind of stay away at a time that you would hope that your friends would be there the most for you. You know, everybody's going to die. I checked out the statistics this week to see if anything's changed, and it's still, the mortality rate is still 100%. Everybody dies. So it's something that we know is going to happen. If you know absolutely sure that something's going to happen, I would think you'd prepare for it. What I mean by that is, I want to make peace with God. I want to make peace with one another. Nobody's going to live forever. So I want to be at peace with you. I want to be at peace with God. It's a guarantee that no one lives forever. So look at Psalm 89, verse 48. No one can live forever. All will die. No one can escape the power of the grave. So it's a guarantee. So I want to be ready. I want to be ready. Here's the type of life I want to live. I don't know when I'm going to die, but here's where I want to be. It's like this. God, if you're ready to take me, 
I'm good with that. I'm good with that. That's where I want to be. Now, it's easy for me to say that now, okay? But if I found out that I had a terminal illness and I was going to die in the next three or four months, would I still be able to do it? Because when you're feeling healthy and fine, you can say that. But where would I really be if I found out the news? For a Christian, death is not a bad thing because we go to be with God. Our loved ones are with God. It's not a bad thing, meaning like if I die, it's not a bad thing for me. I'm with God. If my friend dies, it's not a bad thing for them. They're with God. It's a bad thing for me. If I lose a friend, it's a bad thing for me because I'm sad. I miss them. It's not like good news for me. But I understand as a Christian, we know it's good news for them. We, we know if you're going to be with God. What does that mean? If you're in heaven, that means there's no more sin, no more sorrow, no more suffering, no more rape, no more murder, no more corruption, no more dishonesty, no more jealousy, no more gossip, no more pain, no more sorrow. So death to a Christian is not a bad thing. It's the end of a life. But they're going on to eternity. It's bad for me if you die because I love you and I miss you and I'm sad. But it's not bad for them. It's not bad for us when we die. So it's important that from a Christian point of view, it's actually a good thing that we go to heaven. But still, we're uncomfortable with that idea of death. And we use these terms. These terms aren't bad to use, but it just shows how it's easier, rather than saying death, it's easier to say passed on, gone to a better world, crossed over, dearly departed, no longer with us, promoted to glory, gone to meet his maker in the arms of Jesus, with the angels at the pearly gates, laid to rest, shook hands with eternity, received his just reward. It's easier to say those words because death is a word that we struggle with. And my hope is as a believer in Jesus that the word death isn't a bad word. Our word death is, that's what happens and then you spend the rest of your life with God in heaven and things are great. It's not a bad word in that way. So I'm not afraid of dying, that type of thing. You might be afraid of the pain of death. That's a different story. Like I say, hey, who wants to sign up for some pain? You know, nobody wants that. But you're not afraid of dying. You're secure enough that Jesus died on the cross for me. God came to earth as a man, Jesus. And he took the penalty of our sin on himself. And he died on the cross, paying off the penalty so I'm going to heaven. So as a believer in this room, my hope is that no one is afraid to die, meaning I'm going to go to heaven. Like I said, you might be afraid of the pain of death. If someone had a gun to my head, you say, Jimmy, would you be afraid? Yeah. I'm going to think, this might hurt. <laughs> right? The pain of death is real. But as a believer, we shouldn't be afraid of death itself because being afraid of death means I have a serious faith problem. I don't feel secure them going to heaven. Or maybe I don't feel secure that God's real or whatever. But it, it's, a, it's a faith issue that I'm struggling with there. And I want to get strong enough in my faith that that would never be a, a fear to me. Because I know it's a good thing. And like I said, it's different than... When a friend dies, it hurts you because you want to be with them still. And you notice I say, how spiritually unprepared people react. Now, when I say this, 
I'm trying to show you that probably we're all pretty much spiritually unprepared. Because almost everybody acts this way when you get news that you have a terminal illness or you're dying or something like that. It, it causes these reactions. It is possible for you to be so secure in your walk with God. And this is what I'm shooting for. This would be my dream, that you're so secure in your walk with God that if you got news that you were going to die, you'd be like, okay, well, if that's God's will, that's God's will, without going through these stages. But most likely, you'll go through these stages just because of our humanness kicks in. But the first one is, in your notes, denial. The first thing that we want to do is we want to deny that it's happening. These stages were discovered by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, and she wrote them in a book on death and dying. It's a famous book. But she said the first thing that people tend to go through is denial. They hear that they have a terminal illness, and they don't want to believe it. I feel fine. You know, I can't be dying. And it's a form of fear because we deny the things that we're not comfortable with. In Psalms 55, 4, it says, I'm frightened inside. The terror of death has attacked me. And fear can cause us to want to deny it because I don't want to die right now. So I want to, no, it can't be true. It can't be true. That's usually the first thing that our response is. Second one is anger. Anger comes after you start realizing, oh, it is true. Then we can get angry. We can get angry at God for let, allowing this to happen. Like, if I were to get news that I was going to die, I, I could see how I could get angry like, God, I've got a five-year-old and a two-and-a-half-year-old. You know, I can't die. You got, God, and I could see how you would feel angry at God. Like, God, if this is true, I'm angry at you because they, they need their dad. Anger is a normal response. This is, and if you don't understand this type of stuff, and since the motive of me sharing this is that, that we are comfortable enough to be there for people when they're struggling and if they're passing away or whatever, we're comfortable enough to be there with them. We not get freaked out like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say, so we run and hide. You know, that we're comfortable with people. Um, that's my goal. But if you don't understand that they're going to get angry and sometimes that anger will come out toward you, then you're going to get, you're going to say, whoa, I can't, you know, and you're going to scoot away from them. And that's probably when they need you to draw closest to them. Who wouldn't get angry? You know, and we know because we're not, I, I mean, I don't know everybody's situation in this room, but I'm assuming that uh, we're not dealing with terminal illness right now. So if you're not, it's, you know, it's easier to say, like, why would they get angry or this type of thing? Why would they spew it out on me? But when you're in that situation, you get angry at God. You, now you can say, well, I understand it's not really God. This is just a normal part of this is life. But when you're in that situation, you feel like, God, why didn't you make it different for me? Because we all have a tendency to do that. So it's normal for them to deal with anger. In Psalms 39, 3 and 4, it says, I was overcome with anger. The more I thought, the more troubled I became. I could not keep from asking, Lord, how long will I live? When will I die? Tell me how soon my life will end. When you're angry, you start asking the why questions. Like, why me? Why now? Why this? And there's no real answer for that. There's no, why me? No one knows why. But it does make you ask that. That's a normal thing that you're doing. And then stage three that we go through is bargaining. This is... You know, God, I promise, you know, this, I promise that. I went through the same stages when I was going through a divorce. And part of the bargaining was, God, if you could just let me wake up tomorrow and find out it was all just a bad dream. 
I never woke up and found it was a bad dream, you know. But you bargain with God you, you, because you want things to change. And some people do things like, like uh, you know, God, I'll be a better husband. I'll be, I'll be a, a, a better father. I'll be, you know, I'm trying to bargain with God, talk him into letting me live longer by me changing something in my life. In Ecclesiastes 8, 8, it says, no one can keep from dying or put off the day of death. God knows ahead of time when we're going to die. He just knows. He's, he, he, can, he knows enough. I guess the, the same God that can make billions and billions of stars and spread them all over that sky can figure out when we're going to die. So he knows this type of stuff. So, you know, when our time comes, our time comes. In Psalm 48, 9, I mean 49, 8, 9, you can never pay God enough to stay alive forever and be safe from death. The idea is, if bargaining worked, no one would die. So, but that's a normal stage that you go through, like you're trying to bargain. And then stage four is depression. And that's when you just feel like, I don't care anymore. You, you're kind of accepting it, but in a negative way, so you feel depressed. In Psalm 109, 22 and 23, it says, I'm at the end of my rope. My life is in ruins. I'm fading away to nothing. Um, I'm fading away to nothing, passing away. When people come to the stage, you know, it's like, why even bother? I feel like giving up. But what we want to do is we want to get to stage five, which is acceptance, where I was saying earlier, where you're at a point like, God, my life is yours. You know, if you take me, you take me. If I'm going to, it's not a bad thing to go and be with heaven. I'd rather be here right now. Because if you have, you know, you're always going to, the, the thought of missing family and stuff like that, you know, and, and them missing you, that breaks your heart sometimes. But, but having that idea that, that God's in control and if I'm in God's hands, I'm in good hands, I'm, I'm going to trust him. And it is a faith issue. In Psalms 31, 14 and 15, it says, I'm trusting you, O Lord, saying you are my God. My future is in your hands. It's reaching that point where we're saying that, God, I'm trusting you. I'm in your hands. That's where we want to get. And I do believe, I do believe in your spiritual walk that you can reach there. I do believe that you can get to that point in your spiritual walk where you can reach a point where you can say, well, if I passed away... You know, I'm just trusting God. I believe you can get there. But I believe there's only, way that you, there's only one way that you'll know that you really got there, and that's if you got the news that you're getting. Because no matter what you think, yeah, like I can say, yeah, I think I'm there. I think I'm there. I think if God said to me, uh, you know, you have six months to live, and like I got a doctor report and, and everything, and I could say, well, I think I, my faith's strong enough that I would trust God. Like, I'm in good hands. If, if God allows this to happen, it's okay. I trust him. But you really don't know that unless you got the news. That's the only real time that you really know for sure how you can respond. Uh, in Psalms 38, 11, my loved ones and friends stay away fearing my disease. Even my own family stands at a distance. This is what I don't want to happen. <clears throat> Someone's dying and we don't know what to say. We don't know, know what to do. So we pull away. We don't visit them. Those type of things, because we're, we're oh, what if I do it wrong? What if I do it wrong? Or whatever fear. Some people just have a fear of being around someone dying or whatever. This reminds me of AIDS. My loved ones and friends stay away, fearing my disease. Even my own family stands at a distance. You know, because of a lot of the misunderstandings about AIDS cause people to react to people in this way. 
Back in the old days, it was leprosy. Someone had leprosy and people would pull away from them. And I want us as believers to do the complete opposite. I want us as believers, as an example of Christ, when someone, a friend, a family member um, is sick or dying, I want us to be the ones that, that can be there for them, that can be there and reach out and show them love and, and encouragement. But like the thing that I was saying is, but I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. So I want to talk about that. How to comfort someone who's dying. What do I do? There's different aspects you want to look at. The physical aspect, the emotional, the practical, the spiritual, the relational. All five of these are things that they need comfort in. So I'm using the word comfort as an acrostic to get out these seven points. The C in the word comfort stands for confront my own fears. For me to help somebody else that's hurting, I have to first confront my own fears. I have to ask myself, what am I afraid of? Why is it that I don't want to go visit them in the hospital? What am I afraid of? You know, I'm afraid of what I might say. I don't know what to say. I'm afraid of what I might do. Maybe I'll do the wrong thing. Uh, It doesn't matter what it is, but you need to confront it. Some people, it's an actual fear of being around death. They don't know what it's, they're afraid of what it's going to be. Do you know, death is normal. It's not spooky. Unlike the television shows, the person uh, doesn't always like pop up and say, before I die, I just want you to make sure that you know I love you, and then conk her out. It's usually not like that. It's usually not like that. Their, their breathing slows down, their heartbeat slows down, then they pass on, and now they're with God. That's it. It just slows down, slows down, stop, and now they're with God. It's uh, nothing dramatic. or It's just... Um, so I don't think... What we need to know for sure is if we have a fear of being around it, it's not a rational fear. That's a step in the right direction. It's not a rational fear. Okay, this is a normal part of life. And that's part of the steps you want to take so that you can be with people and uh, uh, support them during this time. Then, oh, when the word comfort is offer my physical presence. That's what people need. Elderly people that when they get in a nursing home or assistant living and they know that their physical, they're getting down and they're getting sicker and they can tell that they don't have long to live, their fear is abandonment. They have this fear that, that you could just stick me in the corner over there and let me die and no one would even notice. That's what they fear. They fear that happening. This is why, you know, you... When someone's going through this, you want to be there for them. You want to visit them. You want to uh, get your physical presence over there. Uh, uh, The last thing you want them to feel is abandoned. You might not be able to be with that person all the time, but you want to make it a regular part of your life to reach out to that person, that friend or that uh, family member. Um, If they're on the deathbed, you want to be with them as much as you can, like uh, watch TV where they are. You know, read that magazine where they are. When someone is dying, they don't necessarily want you to have to talk to them about a lot of stuff. But they want people with them. They don't want to feel abandoned. They don't want to feel left alone. But they don't want just anybody with them. They want you with them. Your family members want you to be there. Your friends would be 
very happy to see you show up. It's not like I want people around me, but I'm surrounded by a bunch of strangers. They're called doctors and nurses. That doesn't bring them the comfort of having you their friend or you the family member there. So that's what you want to try to do is you want to try to offer your own presence there. In Psalm 142, verse 4, it says, No one will help me. No one cares a bit about what happens to me. That's how the elderly feel. We want to make sure that we don't treat them that way. One of the greatest gifts you can give to them is just the gift of touch. Just hold their hand. Hey, and you know, you see them? Grab their hand. Hey, how are you doing? There's something about touch that brings healing in people, and it makes them feel that closeness, and people need that type of thing. Uh, It's the little things that really make someone feel loved. And if you're with somebody, and they're at their end, and you're with them at the hospital or at your home, and even things like when you're going to the bathroom, tell them, hey, I'm going to go to the bathroom. Sometimes you think they can't hear you, but... You'd be surprised. A lot of them, when you're getting weaker, you hear what's going on still. And it's comforting to when, when they just see, because you think they can't hear you, so you just go. It's more comforting when you say, hey, I'm, gonna be, I'm going to the restroom. I'm coming right back. And then you go and come, because a lot of times they hear you, even when you don't notice that. In Psalms 23, 4, it says, even when I walk through the dark valley of death, I will not be afraid for you. I mean, I will not be afraid for you are close beside me. This is talking about God. Another thing that you can bring uh, comfort to them is while you're present with them, let them know that God's with them. God's with you. God's with you. This isn't what you do. You don't go to them and say, hey, I want you to know God's with you, okay? See you, buddy. No. You're present with them too, and you're letting them know, hey, I want you to know God's with you. It's not uh, using God as your excuse to escape. And then comfort. M is a, a minister with practical assistance. Find out someone's uh, elderly, a family member, or they might not be elderly, but they have a disease, a sickness, and you're there with them. Uh, find out if there's things you can do. Like, uh, are there any errands you can run? You know, especially if you're the friend, okay? Are there any errands? Do you need, is there anything you need? Anything I can get for you? Find ways, because sometimes it's more important for you to allow the family member to be there, and maybe if you can run to the grocery store for them. You see what I'm saying? That means a lot. That's a lot of support uh, that you can do for somebody. Um, in Psalm 38, 7, 8, it says, I'm burning with fever, and I'm near death. I'm worn out and utterly crushed. My heart is troubled, and I groan with pain. When someone's dying, they usually don't feel good. You know, so when you take this into consideration, think of things like, what can I do to make them feel better? So you can ask them things like, uh, do you prefer the, instead of me deciding if I want the lights on or off, you know, hey, would you like the lights on or off? Would you like for me to change this uh, channel? Uh, You're trying to find out what they want. If it's a family member, you can probably say, hey, do you need a back rub or something like that? You know, it's all based on the relationship of who the person is. You can't say that with everybody. But, you know, you're, you're assisting in a practical way to bring them comfort in whatever way you can. That means a lot to them. First Thessalonians 5.14 says, Encourage those who are timid. Take tender care of those who are weak. Be patient with everyone. I notice that word, be patient. 
Have you ever had a toothache? If you have, did it make you cranky? Yeah. Sometimes pain can make you cranky. Have you ever, you know, the stereotypes of the old man, the cranky old man? It's the reason why that stereotype gets going is because there's a lot of people as they get older, they have more aches and pains, and it does make you cranky. It doesn't make you, like, uh, happy and skipping down the street. You know, you feel cranky when, you're, when you've got pain. So this verse, be patient. We have to understand, they're the one in pain. If they're cranky with me and rude with me, let it go. Let it go. They're the one in pain. You know, uh, we can't take stuff like that personally. I don't think it's even meant to strike out at us. They're just not in a very good mood because they're in pain. It's a given. So you just let those things go. You know, it's important. Uh, they're more important than their crankiness. And I'm sure if you were in that same situation, you might feel kind of cranky. It's something that uh, happens. They also, you know, you see like, I can't drive anymore. So you feel like you're losing things in your life. And then you feel like, you know, um, like if you're bedridden, I can't get out of bed anymore. And you can even reach a point that you can't use the bathroom without help from somebody else. That starts to demoralize you. And, and you know, people can go through these uh, things, and it's, it's really hard on them. So one thing you can do as a friend is empower them. How do you empower somebody that's losing everything? Will you let them make the choice? Same thing like I was saying earlier. Do you like the lights on or off? You're letting them get control over their life. They've lost control of being able to drive. They've lost control of getting out of bed. They've lost so much control. Give them as much control as you possibly can. It empowers them. It makes them feel like they've got something going on. You know, um, so you know, ask them. Don't say, here's breakfast. It's time to eat. Say, would you like breakfast now or later? Empower them. Let them make decisions uh, for their own life, as many as possible that you can. This helps them feel, you know, like, like I, at least I'm controlling something. At least somebody is allowing me to decide what I want for my own life. These things are very important. And then F in the word comfort is fortify them with emotional support. Build them up. Emotionally support them. Look at Galatians 6, 2. Carry, carry each other's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. And what's the law of Christ? Love your neighbor as yourself. That's the law of Christ. So what you want to do is you want to carry their burdens. Well, how do I carry someone's burdens? Well, you do that through praying for them. And I'm talking about praying with them out loud in front of them, praying with them. You might say, Jimmy, I have no idea what to pray. You're asking me to go to a friend that I've never prayed with before and pray with them out loud? I don't know what to say. I'm lost. Well, they'll tell you what to pray. They will. If you listen, they'll tell you what to pray. And then you'll be able to carry their burden. See, if I just started praying, like say I have a, this is my prayer that I do in this situation, am I carrying your burden or am I just saying my prayer, whatever I, you know, to carry your burden, I have to find out what your burden is to carry it. So, for example, they'll tell you. They'll say something like, um, I feel so angry at God right now. Da, 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 da. They'll tell you how they feel. And that's what you can pray. Hey, can we pray? And then you can say, you know, God, please help Bob. He feels so angry right now at you for what's going on. And 
just give him comfort. He's already told you what his burden is. We just pray that you give him comfort. And, uh, you know, you just lift it like that. doesn't have to be anything special. But they'll tell you what to pray. It'll be something like the lady will say things like, uh, my son John can't get here until next week. I'm just praying. Uh, I just pray that God allows me to live long enough to see my son John. They told you the burden. So you say, hey, can we pray? And you pray, Lord, her son John's not going to get here till next week. And we're praying that you allow her to live long enough to see him. They'll tell you what to pray. Because the, the, the burdens will come out. If you just listen, you'll know. And then you'll find out like, oh, wow. So you don't have to be a trained pastor to pray for somebody. Absolutely not. You just have to have ears to hear. Listen to the burden. They'll tell you. And then you know what to pray for. So, And then you're really carrying their burden, like the verse said, carrying their burden, instead of just guessing what the burden is. And maybe they're not frustrated when you're visiting them, and they're not angry when you're visiting them, and, and maybe there's no burden to pray for that day. That's okay. That's okay. But when they have a burden, you'll know what to pray. That's one way that you can be a real friend to people. You're simply mirroring to God what they've already told you. You're agreeing with them in prayer. And that, com- that brings comfort. In Psalms 116, verse 15, it says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. See, we believe birth is precious. In fact, yesterday I had a five-year-old birthday party for Alicia. Birthdays today, but we celebrated it yesterday. Uh, And we had this birthday party. We celebrate the day that she was born. You know, because birth is precious. Do you know that to God... Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. When we have a baby, when we have a baby, why is this so precious? Because we're bringing this baby into our world with us. It's precious. We brought this baby. It's, it's, what is death? Isn't God bringing you into his world? Isn't that kind of a cool thing? Like, so God could say precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Meaning, when you die, God says, you're with me now. And that's our ultimate goal. We know that we're all going to die, and that's where we want to go. We want to be with God forever. So I see it like this. If it's precious to God, it, it better be precious to me. You know, so everybody's life is precious all the way to the end. Because here's what I think it can feel like if you get elderly or maybe with a terminal disease, it can feel like this. I was precious when I was born. Everybody celebrated that. Everybody celebrated me when I was bringing home $100,000 a year to help my family. But now, or when I was, whatever they were doing, but now that I'm sick and dying, nobody even cares about me anymore. They, they ignore me. I don't see my friends anymore. They quit coming. You know, and they feel like the opposite of precious. But I'm talking to us now. I'm talking to people that say, I'm a follower of Jesus, which means I'm going to do my best that I know how to live the way God wants me to. They're precious. They're precious. If they feel that that way about everybody else, that nobody else cares about them, don't let them feel that way about you. If it's a friend, a family member, you know, be there for them. Uh, they're precious. Uh, their death is as precious as their birth. 
So another way, way to fortify their emotions and give them emotional support is you can do things like read the Bible to them. Sometimes they're feeling too weak and they can't do these things, but they would like it. Or it's, if it's someone that loves music, you know, bring something with the music that they love. One of the things I love about Tiago, Tiago's uh, uh, really good. He's, he's, he's one of the best examples I've seen. Most everybody here knows who Tiago is. He used to lead worship here. He's one of the best examples. What he'll do is he'll show up with his guitar. He'll play worship songs with them and stuff like that. And he'll play whatever songs they like the best and stuff like that. Just to, to bring comfort. Because if you love music, it sure is cool when somebody shows up with a guitar. I mean, you're 100% healthy and you like music and somebody shows up with a guitar in place, you love it. You know, so it's like, what was he doing? He was saying, well, this is what I'm good at doing. Let me use my gift to really bless this person who right now, you know, is suffering and that type of thing. So uh, there's all kinds of things you can do. Read them the Bible, uh, give them encouraging tapes to listen to or, or not tapes, CD. That shows how old I am. When's the last time you saw a tape? Yeah, and then... Comfort. The O on comfort is open them up with questions. A lot of people, when they hear news that uh, they're terminally ill or something, they have worry and fear and doubt and shame and guilt and regret and sorrow. And, you know, they're, they're overwhelmed with all these emotions. And there's a lot of stuff bottled up inside them that needs to get out. And they need a listening ear. Sometimes the best friend you can be is just by listening to them. Let them talk and get it out. In Proverbs 25, it says, a person's thoughts are like water in a deep well, but someone with insight can draw them out. So you want to be able to ask the type of questions that they can get it out. One of the fears that we have is, what if I'm asked a question I don't know how to answer? You will be asked questions that you don't know how to answer. And you don't have to answer them because all they need is, they don't need those answers to those questions. No, no one can answer them. Like, why is this happening to me? How do you answer that? I mean, you could go do something like this, but I don't think it'd bring them comfort. You could say like, well, you know, behind every, perp- uh, behind every problem is a purpose. That's fine for a Sunday morning sermon, right? Because you're not on your deathbed right now. But, you know, for Sunday morning, it's good, right? Behind every problem is a purpose. And all things are working together for the good of those who are in Christ Jesus. That's fine now because you're not in your deathbed. You see? And you can explain things like this. And God uses tough times to build your character. That if you're in your deathbed, how encouraged do you just feel? Like, oh, when is this guy going to shut up? <laughs> right? Because you're not really trying to get the answers to the problem. You just need to get out. You're just trying to get things out. And sometimes the best thing to do is to, to just ask him, like, like, why is this happening to me? To say, uh, why, what, what do you feel like is happening? And let them talk. Because it sometimes just helps to just get it out of my body, just to get it off my chest and say something. But trying to answer the questions is probably not really what they want. Uh, they just want someone that's willing to listen to them and not judge them. See, a lot of people, they, they were holding up because they're afraid of judgment, especially if they're a Christian and they're angry at God. They're afraid of being judged. They're afraid of people, people saying, you're not supposed to be angry at God. And when they have a friend that you can say, I'm angry at God, 
and they maybe even be, say a bad word because they're mad, and they do this, and, it's, and what's coming out of their mouth doesn't sound very Christian, and you just love them and listen to them and comfort and give them a hug. You know what? Because they just need to get it out. And, and it's like they finally have somebody that didn't judge me. They didn't make me feel guilty because I'm just human just with my frustrations and I, I just needed to say something. And I even said it like I was angry and maybe they thought I was angry at them and they still loved me. That's what people need. When someone's dying, there's that fear of unfinished business. Well, I haven't finished this yet. And I didn't take care of that yet. And all those things that are stressing them out, they need to be able to talk about it and get it out. Just by being a listening ear you give them a chance to talk through things, and all this stuff actually brings about healing in their life instead of them bottling it up and making them feel worse. When someone's going through a problem, I mean, uh, going through this, you can't dump on them something like, uh, like, my dad did this to me when I was growing up and did that to me, and I've never told him how hurt I am. And I better tell him because he's on his deathbed, I want him to hear it before he dies. No, you lost your opportunity. Yeah. You were too chicken to bring it up when you were supposed to, so you lost your opportunity. It's not about you, it's about them. I've devoted my life, committed to you, to say I'm going to do everything I can to help you be like Jesus. That's my life. That's what I do. I commit my life. Don't do something that crazy. Don't use a deathbed scene to get your last criticism out before they die. Now, if they say to you, hey, I'm sorry about something I've done, that's fine. And then you can forgive them. And, you know, if they're bringing it up and they're apologizing, that's great. If you want to apologize to them, that's great. But that's not a time to get things out. You know, when you have a problem with somebody and you're hurt by somebody, do you know what you do? You talk about it now. You talk about it now. You talk about it now, or you suck it up and let it go. Okay? You talk about it now, deal with them, or you suck it up and let it go. I'm too chicken to talk about them. Talk about it, so I'm just going to have to be, I'm not man enough to talk about it, so now I need to be man enough to suck it up and just let it go. But you can't be, you, you can't, you know, wait till that time. You talk about it. You work it out. You, you. Do what it takes to work out the problems. They might reject you. That's okay. Sometimes you say something to somebody and they reject. That's on them. That's on them. You know, I brought it up and said, you hurt me, da, 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 da. And then they turned it around and twisted it into, it's all your fault. People do that, right? We've all had people do that. That's on them. That's on them. That's between. But I, I shared my piece and I'm done. But you don't do that on their deathbed. And uh, R is remember the family has needs too. One of the best things you can do is uh, look for the family's needs during this time. A lot of times, the family, there's questions that need to be asked, but the family, they're uncomfortable to ask the question. Like, I don't know about you, but I would think like this. If I'm going to die, I would kind of like to say, hey, can you play this song at my funeral? Would you like this? You know, I like that. I want to kind of say, but you know what? Everybody's afraid to ask them what they want at the memorial service because they're afraid that they're saying, I believe you're going to die. You know what I mean? So as a friend, you can save the family from having to ask those questions. Let them deal with other things. They've got a lot on their mind. 
And as a friend, you could say, hey, um, have you thought about a memorial service and what you'd like to have in it? I take down notes and save the family that trauma of trying to, like, it's just uncomfortable. Also, a will. As a friend, you can say, hey, do you have a will? Did you ever have a will made? And find out these things. Because sometimes family members want to know. They're even afraid to ask, if you do have a will, where is it? Because they're so afraid that it's going to sound like my mom's dying and she's going to think all I care about is the money. So we don't say anything, then she passed away and nobody knows where the will is. You know what I mean? It's much easier for a friend to ask him. You know why? Because if you're a friend, you know one thing for sure. You're not getting any of the money. So you, it can't be any bad motive coming from you. And then you save the family from having to ask those uncomfortable questions and maybe be taken the wrong way or they're afraid it's going to be taken the wrong way. And you ask them and it's easy and then they know this important stuff. This is really important. If I were to die... I would want my family to know where the will was. You know, and if they're too afraid to ask me because it's going to come out wrong, I might not, at that point, I'm not thinking about that maybe. You know, hopefully I'd be coherent enough to say, hey, by the way, the will's over here. You need, you know. But sometimes that's not how it works out. So a friend stepping in, uh, you're, doing, you're really helping the family. And they, they have needs too, and they need to be helped. And then T is turn them to Jesus. Turn them to Jesus. We want to prepare them for eternity. If they're on their deathbed, there's nothing wrong with saying, Have you, do you feel like you've made peace with God? Do you feel like you've made peace with God? And talking about it and seeing, they might not know how to. They might say, I want to, and they don't know how. And you can, expel, you can explain it to them. But that's a very important thing for people. This is important to me. Do you notice how I, in this church, that I, I, I can't think of the last time I've talked about this, but you probably hardly ever hear me talk about hell, right? It's not something I really talk about that much. It's not because I don't believe there's a hell. I believe there's a heaven and I believe there's a hell. I believe in both, you know. But I don't talk about hell because my focus and my mindset is to connect us with a loving God who loves us and cares for us. And I know that he gives you free will and anybody can thumb their nose at God and walk away. If God made you be with him, what do you call that? Kidnapping, right? If somebody made you be with him, right? Is he a good guy or a bad guy? You know, if, uh, if somebody uh, made you, because the church is called the bride of Christ, so let me say, if somebody made you marry them, made you do it, what do you call that? Could be rape, right? I'm just trying to tell you, God's not a rapist. He's not a kidnapper. He offers salvation to everybody. He loves you. He wants everybody in. But he won't make you. You still are allowed to say no to God. You're allowed to thumb your nose to God and say, I don't care about you. I don't want you. Okay? I don't focus on hell. But I'm just saying, you're allowed to do that. Everybody has a free will. God is not so evil that he would make you be with him. But here's what Acts 4.12 says. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. And what this is saying is there's only one person, there's only one God that came to earth as a man, Jesus, so it's still God, that said, I'm going to take all the sins that you've ever done, and I'm going to pay the price. My death on the cross is going to pay the penalty off. So everybody's set free. Everybody's forgiven. Now everybody who wants to, you can go to heaven. There's only one person that's ever done that, and that's God, Jesus. So 
What this is also saying is, for example, there's not 10. Salvation is found in no one else but him. So there's not, it's not like you have a choice. I can put my faith in Moses forgiving me, but Moses never taught that he'd forgive you. That's, that, that wouldn't make sense. I'll put my faith in uh, Muhammad forgiving me, but Muhammad never taught that he will forgive you, or Buddha, or Krishna. You go through the list. There's only one person who claimed to be God, and only God can forgive you. So what I'm trying to say is there's only one. There's, the only person that can forgive you is God. It's 100% it can only be God that forgives you. Uh, because if you forgive me, that, that might not mean anything in eternity. But if God forgives me, it means everything. So in the Bible, it makes it clear that only God can forgive you of your sins. Only God does. And because of that, I want them to know that God came to forgive them. That he paid up the penalty for their sins. Look at Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. For only as a human being could Jesus die. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil. Who had the power of death. Only in this way could he deliver those who have lived all their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. Isn't that great? God doesn't want you to have the fear of dying because you know that you're going to heaven. And look at 2 Corinthians. So we don't look at the troubles we can see right now. Rather, we look forward to what we have not yet seen, meaning heaven. For the troubles we see will soon be over, but the joys to come will last forever. So that's talking about heaven. You're going to be there forever. The joys that last forever. So... We want to use that opportunity that a person can make peace with God if they haven't yet. And you can ask them, have you made peace with God? I don't know if I would ask him in this particular way, in that setting, but this is for us to think of where we are. If I were to ask you, do you know without a doubt that if you were to die today, you're going to heaven? Do you know without a doubt? Like, I know I'm going to heaven if I die. That's the question I want to ask you because the answer can be yes. I know without a doubt. Absolutely. And it's not because I'm arrogant. And it's not because I think I'm good. Because the next question is, if Jesus would ask you this, why should I allow you to heaven? What would your answer be? Well, I'm a great person. Look at me. <laughs> of course I'm getting in. Look at me. Is that the answer? No. The whole message of the gospel, the whole message... The gospel means good news, by the way, the literal translation of that word. The whole good news is no one's good enough to reach God, so he reached us. That's why it's not like, oh, I'm a good person. Okay, so you're so good that you reached God? No, he's so good that he reached me. He's so good that he reached you. That's why you can say, do you know for sure you're going to heaven? And you can say, yeah, why? Because God reached me. It's a faith issue. Once I say... Why, why should you be allowed into heaven? Why well, I'm a good person? Who am I putting my faith in? I'm a good person. I've never killed anybody. Who am I putting my faith in? I try to do the right thing. Who am I putting my faith in? Then why do I need God if I'm all that? See, the whole message of salvation is people put their faith in themselves and other things. And the whole message is we put our faith in God. Why am I going to heaven? Because he died on the cross to pay off the penalty of my sins because he is good enough to forgive me and reach me even when I haven't been good enough. It's about faith. Who's the faith in me or him? It's in him. That's the message. My faith is in him and what he's done. Even if I don't fully understand it, 
I don't fully understand, but I know this. My faith is in that God's going to reach me because how can I reach him? That's where God wants to get you. He wants to bring you to the point that you're putting your faith in him and trusting him. And that's what the message of Jesus is. It's about trusting him, trusting God. Put your faith in God. You're never good enough to reach him. He's good enough to reach you. And that's the message we want to let people know is whether they're on their deathbed or not, that God loves you so much, he'll reach you. You can put your faith in him. And they can die. They might be afraid of the pain of death, but they can die without being afraid of death. You don't have to be afraid of death because you can know you're going to heaven because of how good he is, not because of how good you are. Isn't that great? The pressure's off me. Whew. I'm sure glad I can rely on him because I don't know if I'm good enough. I'm glad I can rely on him. You have security in your faith, and that's what it's about. Can you imagine, if you didn't have security in your faith, how horrible Christianity is? I'm scared all the time. I'm scared all the time. Didn't Jesus say 366 times in the Bible it says, fear not? How can you say in the Bible, fear not 366 times and have your faith all based on fear? How can you fear not? Because you know that God's got you. My faith's in him. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you that you sent Jesus to be our Savior. Lord, we thank you that you're willing to use us to help people that are struggling in life. And Lord, we pray that we'll be able to apply these things to our friends, to our family, and to ourselves as we're growing on this journey with you together. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.